hits him with a couple of elusive moves. Gets it into the corner. Centering pass. They score! They score! Austin Matthews wins the game! Yeah, he played great tonight for us, and you know, he was rewarded with uh, you know, more ice time, more shifts with you know, different lines, OT. And, you know, Robbie comes in every day, and he, he works as hard as anybody. And, um, you know, nothing really, really phases him. He obviously wants to play. Everybody wants to play. But, um, you know, just the way he comes in every day, goes to work, regardless if he's in the lineup or not, um, does all the extra stuff. And, um, you know, I think in the game he's play, games he's played in, he's, he's been a difference maker at times. And obviously, uh, you know, tonight he played really well. Ben Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Not just a season-high 17.08 for Nick Robertson yesterday, a career-high. Robbie. 17 minutes and 8 seconds. Guy does not have a confidence issue, I must say. I, I saw, I took my kid to, to one Leaf game this year. Mm-hmm. It was in Buffalo, and it was, yeah, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, the last two guys off the ice. But third <laughs> last off the ice, Nick Roberts. I am so happy you bring this up, because this was a hobby horse of uh, Gordo, uh, El Gordo, Gord Stelic, uh, and mine on, on Leaf Station pregame, was that... The funniest thing to us was that, yes, Matthews and Marner, always the last two out. And in the previous iteration of the Leafs, do you know who the third guy was that always stayed out there with them? The last guy you would expect, Pierre Engvall. Really? He was always the third guy, uh, third That's last guy funny. out there. Yeah, and it's just like, what are you, who do you think you are? <laughs> At least with Nick Robertson, you can kind of sort of yeah, understand. The it's like, there he's and... got the shot, Matthews, mm-hmm. again, like... It was very nice of him to lie to all of us and say, oh, he's got the best shot on the team. Yeah. I disagree. I think it's the guy who shoots in the net all the time. But, yeah, I mean, at least you can kind of squint and see it with him. Uh, it's funny. When when I first heard that clip from Matthews, I assumed he was talking about Samsonov. And then I heard, oh, he's got more ice time. And I'm like, oh, must be Robertson. Mm-hmm. But good news when you can have a couple of great stories come out of a game. Well, Ilya Samsonov also getting more ice time because he's playing in <laughs> hockey great, games now, point. too. Uh, uh, I will say, first time this year, We, uh, you know, this is something I know near and dear to really just my heart, but we had a repeat winner of the belt. Austin Matthews, they, the, the boys tried to make him keep it. Uh, after his back-to-back hat tricks to start the season. Mm -hmm. And apparently Samsonov who won the belt in Seattle tried to give it to Matthews last night. And the boys told him you keep it. Uh, Please leave blueprint. I need that. I need that clip. Like I need air to live. Get that (laughs) on the internet right now. (laughs) All right. Uh, that's all well and good. And, yeah, the Leafs will be in good spot if uh, Ilya Samsonov is winning more belts than not. Um, so the the Jets are having a fine, fine season this year. They're third in the NHL in points percentage, even after the loss yesterday. You know what the Leafs' record is against the top seven team in points percentage? I actually was trying to look this up and couldn't find it because I feel like the Leafs play well, fairly well. But. Okay. You're trying to find it by which you mean you're like, somebody just have the number for me. I, I literally typed into Google like it was ass Jeeves. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? It didn't just immediately <laughs> pop up with a butler here like, hello, sir. Here's your answer to your yeah. query. Here's what you have to do. You have to like look at the no, it, no, no. And like hockey reference has like the records against those no. individual teams, and then you got to look at like yeah, the compare cross no. compare the top seven teams of point percentage. I Anyways, just want to ask Jeeves. Okay, well, bring that guy I'll back. Play the role of Jeeves for hey, you. Hey Jeeves, what's the answer <laughs> to my question? It's not like overwhelming one way or the other, but it's four, three, and two. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, they're one and one against the Canucks. They're 0-0-2 against the mm. Bruins. They're now 1-0 against the Jets. Mm, Avalanche, not so great. They're 0-1-1 against the Avalanche. They're 1-0 against the Dallas Stars, and they are notably 1-1 against the Florida Panthers. So this is the thing with this team. I think 
I think Nick Cabrios he nailed it mm-hmm. in his article on Generally Speaking Does. Uh, the Toronto Star. I today. thought he also nailed it uh, about an hour ago with us. He did. Um, this is probably a middling team. Like, they're right there in the middle of the NHL. I'd quibble and say upper. Like, they're, they're what upper everyone middle, thinks they okay, are. They're upper sure, middle class. Upper, oh, sure. Fine. <laughs> that still puts you in the middle class. Okay, I'm just saying, though. They're not going to be upper class, though. Right? Like, are are they going to be on the level of some of those teams as far as the ex? Listen, the expectation is always to win the Stanley Cup, but some a, a team that you're like, holy cow, this is it. This has got to be the year. And it should always be the year, especially when you got your best player on the verge of maybe mm-hmm. a 70-goal season. But, yeah, it does feel the more sample that we get that this is a middle-class team. That being said... The reason you can still do the conversation that we mm-hmm. had last hour about you get some good goaltending and you go on a run is, well, part of it is the top-end talent. But also, look at how they play against some of the best teams in the NHL. You mentioned the loss against Colorado, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you how pretty it was. Uh, they had that Three game. Nothing. Yeah, they had that game in pretty nice command until they leafed it up. Uh, the Oilers, you know, I know they don't count among the stats you just gave me, but mm-hmm. if you do it for the last two months, they certainly would. They'd probably yeah. be the best team in the NHL yeah. over yeah. that span. Guess what? They had that game in hand until they blew it as well. So it is so tough because you can't sit here. Like, this is not the Raptors where you're giving them Moral victories for blowing leads. You're not doing that at all, but mm. you also can't get look some at, saves though in well, those blown leads. There's definitely some element to that, and also it's you can't look at that and say that that you know this isn't a team that is clearly beneath those guys who hangs with them for a period, and then as the game goes on, there's some separation. Mm-hmm. It is always a bad stretch of hockey, is what kind of undoes this. It's not the talent kind of falling off a cliff, mm. at least in my mind's eye. God, when you said bad stretch of hockey, I was thinking 18 wheeler. Yeah, well, no, I was thinking of the five game series against the Panthers because oh. that's what undid them in that series. Right? I said cliff and bad stretch of hockey, and I immediately mm. went to Berkey. Whatever. Been a lot of rough uh, memories for Leaf fans for the last decade plus. All right, let's or talk. since '67. Yeah, 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 whatever. Blah blah blah. Uh, let's talk to Luke Gazdick, a former NHL forward, Sportsnet analyst, host of the Mitts Off podcast. How's it going, Luke? Good guys, how you doing today? Doing very well. So yeah, I mean, your evaluation of this Leafs team as a whole, right? Like yesterday, let's take it out of the equation because look, look, that that was not a game that would add fuel to the fire. Like they hang against good teams because the Jets are good. Leafs got outplayed and they got saved by their goaltender, which they're allowed to do. But, like, do you view them as just a, a, a middle-class team in the NHL? Oh, bring in the heat right away, hey? Uh, I think, honestly, it's just a frustrating team to watch. I think they're just capable of so much more some nights. And, I, I mean, I'm looking at the standings this morning and looking at them in the first wild card, and I understand they have a couple games in hand here, but... To see Tampa finally pass them, even with the games, is not a great thing. They're just kind of starting to middle around in there. And just on a night-to-night basis, it's the consistency for me. And it's just not there every night. I take positives out of last night. That's a really good Jets team. Uh, you, I pretty much think that, yeah, you get outplayed, but they hang there the whole game. I, just, I look at them play against top-tier teams. I know you guys mentioned Colorado. I go back to the game against Carolina on Saturday night a uh, couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. and They just don't play top-tier talent well. And I, I think you can see examples of that start to float in. And, um, yeah, it, it's just it's a frustrating team from a night-to-night basis just because I cover this league and I watch 
almost every team, uh, I don't want to say almost every team, I have a focus on the Canadian teams, but mm-hmm. with, with, with a, a handful of teams, you know what you're getting every game. Like, I don't even need to watch the game, and I could tell you how they played the night before. With the Leafs, I need to watch because I'm not sure which Leafs team is going to show up. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very fair point uh, for team for a team with as much high end talent and quite honestly, like the track and I realize the bottom of this roster doesn't have it, but the top does the track record of playing together and having been, you know, a cohesive unit for, for so long. It is odd that they are such a Jekyll and Hyde team, but it shouldn't be odd because we've been talking about them being that for for such a long stretch of time. Uh, part of the reason why they've kind of struggled as late is is the guy going through his longest point trout of his career right now. Uh, having said that, John Tavares leads the team in shots last night. He plays over 21 minutes. He wins 80% uh, of his draws in the game. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you pay him 11 million bucks to shoot the puck at the net and not in it, but what have you made of Tavares' play? Do you think he's he's kind of coming out of it? You know, it's it's often like we, we hear this idiom all the time in hockey that teams, they start to come out of their slumps before they actually start winning games, and sometimes that happens with players as well uh, before the puck actually starts going going in the net. What, what are you seeing from Tavares right now? Yeah, he's obviously slumping, but to me, I have no problem with Johnny. I don't want to say absolutely no problem. I'm sure he could do some things better, but he's a veteran guy and I understand the money and the salary, but that is what it is. I deal with that a lot when I talk with Edmonton with Darnell Nurse and they say, oh, you know, but he's making X amount of dollars. He's, it's like, just get, get past that already. Like that's not, <laughs> cha- that's not changing. Uh, so I just, I hate when people bring up that excuse. Sorry, I don't say hate. I don't hate anything. I dislike when people bring up the money aspect of it because it's just, just get over it. Like that is the amount of money he makes that is not changing. He's not going anywhere. So just deal with it. Um, but I, I just think John's a veteran and I think he helps this team more off the ice as well. I think he's a huge part of the locker room. I, you know what? I go back to training with John in the summer. I got to skate with him a little bit. I've played against him since we were kids basically, but I used to train and skate a little bit with those guys in the summer. And I just remember John was the most dialed in pro that I had ever seen in terms of the way he prepares, even for a Tuesday skate in the summer and the, his diet and everything that comes with it. And I just think he, he means a lot to that team even if he's not producing on the ice, I think he's a huge factor off it. Mm. The points will start to come back around. Um, I think he, he uh, is probably not happy with that, but I don't have too much of a problem with, with Johnny right now. I mean, so you've known him for a while. Have you ever seen him like eat ice cream or something? Like, like it, the, the, what the about, diet is apparently like no, just legendary. I don't think he does. What about yeah, a singular potato chip? Like it's the old Lay's with Messier. Like if anybody could have just one, maybe it would be JT. No, I don't think this guy strays off it at all. I know he's got the private chef, and I think if it's ice cream, it's like soy based. Yeah, it's the Brady like avocado ice cream or whatever. Sounds awful. I got to be honest. No, we we played against him since he was kids, man. He was on the (laughs) Toronto Marlies '89 team with Sam Gagne and all these guys, and I was a North York Rangers guy. I've been basically getting dominated by John since I was like (laughs) seven. Hey, man, like I I can tell you, I got dominated by way worse hockey players than John Tavares. Like. Take that as a badge of honor. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. I mean that Mar that Marley's team. I'm not, I'm telling you guys, it's one of the best G 
PTHL teams Don't. of all time. I still have flashbacks of them. Please do not tempt me with this because we won't, but I could talk about that team and like the Connor McDavid team that he played on that was absolutely loaded. So please do not tempt me with uh, with with like triple A GTA hockey talk because I could do we'll it all, it. all day. We'll Luke. save it for another day. Yeah, please. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe that's a, a pod exclusive. Uh, you know, just in terms of what we see uh, out of the team, the goaltending they get last night, the question I've kind of had about it is not – how real is it? Because, you know, I think goaltending is only real until it's not in the NHL. Like, it seems like it can go and it can, you know, come and go at any given time. How much do you think the schedule can kind of affect Samsonov one way or another? I mean, it was the time he spent away that allowed him to get right from a Leafs team. But I also think of a guy who's really finally found his footing and he's got some momentum and we'll see how Saturday goes. But all of a sudden he finally finds himself and he's got the net again. And now he's got to go sit at home for a week because it's the All-Star break what do you make of the the timing for this and what do you think it could potentially do to Samsonov I don't mind the rest at all um I, I think that the 82 game season is an absolute grind and anytime you can find a couple days off even if you're streaking I feel like any time off is generally a benefit for guys in the National Hockey League this is starting to look like a really feel-good story for me I said this on TV post game last night but it's no, I don't want to say easy, but it's easier when you struggle in a place like Dallas or Sunrise, Florida, or with the Nashville Predators. But when you struggle so publicly with a team like Toronto, I spent three years in Edmonton and I watched a number of guys go through slumps or whatever it was and just get eaten alive by the public and the media. And I think maybe sometimes people think, oh, they don't read it. Like they don't see it. They, it gets to them. Yeah. And to watch a guy and a guy that looks like he cares so much and takes a lot of the weight on his shoulders. You hear him in the interviews after like this stuff really gets to him when he doesn't play well, but to watch him struggle so publicly was challenging, honestly, even for a viewer like me and a fan to watch. So to see him put up a game like he did last night and to start to string these games together is really nice to see. I, I honestly didn't think that a week off and, you know, going down to the American League and skating for a bit would do anything. I I wasn't sure if we were even going to see this guy again. So the fact that he could kind of clear his head uh, and come back in and play the way he has is is impressive. And and like I said to start this, I I think any time off in in the NHL, especially around now, dog days of – February and March coming up is, is generally a benefit. No, it was a genius move by uh, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner to, to send the Jets in on that two-on-zero shorthanded to allow Ilya Samsonov oh, to make gosh. those incredible. Got to build them up. That was and oh, to have gosh. his name yeah. chanted in the building yesterday. No, that was rancid. Uh, it was an incredible series of saves by by Samsonov. The the power plays won for its last twenty. What the hell's going on here, Luke? It's a mess. Yeah, one for its last 20. They are not generating anything towards the net. And listen, I'm not one to like critique top players too much, but I do or I can speak on the effort. And it's an honor to play uh, in the National Hockey League on the power play. It, it really is. And I Vancouver's a team whose power play I watch who just works every time they get out there. It's like they work harder than they do five on five when they're, when they're uh, a man up and you just, you can't stop working on the power play. And that's what I saw, especially last night is like, 
they're just kind of playing pawn hockey on the power play. And then you turn a puck over after a minute and 40 seconds of being out there, not, not going to your second unit at all. Uh, and then they change on the back check and Sheldon's pissed and understandably. So, uh, I don't know about sitting them down. That's a whole other, I think, story and, and conversation is holding these guys accountable. Uh, I'm not sure if – this is what I said last night. It's like I love holding players accountable, and I think it's very important for a team, very important for a coach to do. But I don't know if sitting down your top unit on the power play in a 0-0 game and leaving your 38 goal scorer on the bench when you need some offense and your power play is one for 18 – once for the last 18 at the time. I don't know if that's the time and place to be sitting them down. Uh, and I'm, I am one for accountability. Uh, I think that's almost a larger conversation though, is like, I'm looking at the team across the ice mm-hmm. and when do you hear, like it was camp earlier in the year. It was Tavares earlier in the year. He did it a bit with Domi. He's done it with what? Three different lines now. Mm-hmm. When have you heard of Rick bonus? sitting down, let's use Shifley because he's skating, for example. When have you seen Rick Bonus sit down Shifley, Connor, and Ehlers? When have we heard about him having to sit them down because of their work ethic? Mm-hmm. When have you heard of them uh, having to sit down Adam Lowry and Appleton and Niederreiter, their third line, because they, they weren't working hard enough or, or they made multiple mistakes or took bad penalties? Like, the Leafs are the only team I hear this about where it's holding players accountable because they're not working. So I, I just think you're, the, the work ethic can't come down uh, just because you're a man up. I mean, the penalty kill on the other side is going to work 10 times as hard as you to keep the puck out of their net. So to me, it's an effort thing. It's not even necessarily a skill or, or luck thing. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying. Like in a game where you need the two points, like yeah, in a scoreless hockey game, how do you not give yourself the best chance to win that hockey game by putting your $40 million worth of forwards on the ice on a power play? But it, it, doesn't it like ring hollow if you do that in a in a less pressure-packed environment? Isn't that like if you're if part of your reasoning for doing that is sending a message to both the players and the rest of the players on that team too, right? And this is we hear this all the time about the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady era Patriots is that like Brady got it from Belichick as much, if not more than the other players to uh, have a, a sense of, hey, nobody's bigger than anybody else in this locker room. Like, isn't that like if the intended purpose was to send a message, isn't that kind of the perfect time to do it in a game that you need to win? Well, Luke, let me throw one other thought at you before you answer that. You know, you mentioned the idea of it being harder to struggle in a Canadian market than it is a Dallas, a Florida. You know, you mentioned bonus there, and I'm not going to pretend the Jets don't have a, you know, a media presence, but it's not Toronto. He rips his Jets team. Maybe he doesn't sit them down, but he publicly calls guys to task like not hinting at it, ripping his team. And he doesn't do it all the time, but there's been a couple of instances of it. And when Sheldon Keefe has had public criticisms of his team, it's turned into a 37 alarm fire here. How much of it do you think is, and I'm not trying to make excuses for Keefe, but how much of it do you think is the market? And that's maybe the tact he has to take more than a direct public criticism and allowing those guys to play through it. No, I agree with that too. And I think Elliot said it pretty good on, on the tube was in Toronto here, especially I'd say on the media side and, and with fans, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I think if Keith doesn't sit them down there, I think we're talking about a different conversation. You know, he should have sat them down there and uh, he sits them down. And I don't necessarily agree with the timing of that, but just sometimes in the city, you can't win with, with either decision. And uh, you know, you're, you are right. Right. Like I, 
I believe in setting an example and and there's an, a probably better time if you want to make that example than on that power play. I just think, I mean, that could have been their last power play of the night and you're looking at playing five on five for the rest of the game. Uh, me personally, I just maybe don't agree with that timing, but I just think it, it's it's either side here. I think if he doesn't do it, we're probably talking about him not play, holding them top guys accountable enough. And and since he does, I'm probably on the other side. No, yeah, I, I get it. It's 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 nice fodder though to to talk about. It is it's it's super interesting to hear you talk about the lack of effort too. And like, yeah, that's a it's a fan thing, right? In in watching this team, and it's hard not to to look at the the at the contract uh, numbers that are attached to these players and and think about how comfortable it's been for them when you talk about maybe. You know, going days or or moments or even a power play where it's it you're not totally focused or you don't have all your effort level. I mean, it's it's why there was a big conversation last week, honestly, Luke, about changing the head coach and maybe adding some layer of like attention to 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 this team. Like, so I mean, w- what does that come down to? Because I I can't for the the life of me, I can't get to the spot where I'm thinking about professional athletes who are being paid millions of dollars, like actually like half-assing it on the ice, but like. So what is it that we're watching on occasion? I'm not going to lie. I was not on the fire chief bandwagon um, at all over the last, let's call it a month here. I, I still am not, but I will tell you that after a certain amount of time in a dressing room and on a team, the voice gets stale and you sit there and, uh, if if it's uh, after a bad loss or if you want something done differently, it's just the same kind of voice you're hearing over and over again, and it's the same set of eyes. And I look at, you know, even a team like Edmonton, I know not everyone has gotten the coach bump, looking at the Ottawa Senators, but I right. think I think that it can be very beneficial, beneficial and useful uh, to have a fresh set of eyes come in with a more unbiased view of the lineup and to have players hear a different voice and be motivated in a different way. I'm not saying that I think Sheldon should be fired or anything like that. I'm just saying that if that's the conversation, I just, from a former player's perspective, I just know that after a certain amount of time, that same voice, that one voice that you're hearing can get stale. And I don't think it's the time for that at all, but I, I just, that's how I relate to it as a player that um, after a while, it's kind of the same message. And, and it's, yeah, I mean, it sometimes can fall on deaf ears. And I'm only saying that is because that's what I see from the players. It looks like like when he yells and when he tries to motivate them, that they're not exactly responsible responding accordingly they're kind of just i don't want to say shrugging it off but effort is effort is being motivated and taught and 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 wanting to to play for each other and play for your coach and when you see the effort level just not there in certain situations like during the game it just up it's up and down and up and down that that's a concern for me yeah it's not ideal it's not what you want i I would say uh, especially when you have the lack of success that this core has had over the last near decade. Uh, Luke, uh, great job on the panel as always yesterday. Thanks for doing this. 
Yeah, no problem. I might as well plug the pod while I'm on here because yeah. uh, I, I interviewed my uh, my old teammate, my boy Simon, uh, or I should say Simone Benoit. So I'm going to have uh, Benoit coming out this week. He's an unbelievable kid, starting to be a little bit of a fan favorite here. Little bit, a uh, lot of bit. And he, uh, I told him that at the end of the thing. I said, man, this city will love you if you keep playing the way you do. They will embrace you and take you in. Uh, kid that was handed nothing, undrafted, has worked for everything he's got. So I think uh, – Leafs fans and hockey fans will enjoy that. Well, obviously you're a little biased here, but he's only 25 years old, like pending free agent. Like this, this guy. RFA. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's still free. Agent. Yeah, I know, but, but that's the, they average. should be, the, the uh, they yeah. should be resigning and they should be looking at resigning him or at least talking to him. Give him a couple year deal. I really think he's earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. No question about that, especially considering the expectations. Uh, Luke, uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks, man. Yeah. Anytime guys. See ya. There's Luke Gazdick former NHL forward, sports analyst, host of the Mitts Off podcast. Interview coming with Simon Benoit. I can't score a goal, but I can hit the bodies. <laughs> God, how, can, how, how, on, how, how in the world could you not love that guy? Yeah. And then, and then like three days later, he has a, he has a game where he gets like four shots on net and he's looking like Bobby Orr. It's just, it's, these are the guys you love in, in markets, right? Is the un, the unheralded guy comes out of nowhere. Of course you love your Matthews, your Martin or whatever, but Go back. Think of the Leafs teams. You close your eyes, however old you are. Imagine the think of the last Leafs team you really loved. Okay, mm-hmm. they had some guys poking around like that on it, and I don't know that there's been a lot of that there. Uh, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but I think the thing about Keith, it's something we've talked about a lot. Is we've seen this a lot in the NHL this year that yeah, coaches are taking teams to task. So are star players. If the voice is getting stale, like maybe the call needs to come from inside the house. But the problem is, is all of the guys have been there. And if you notice the guys who are calling out, they got one thing in common. Rings, or at least ring to slam on the table. Drew Doughty was was the most recent yesterday. And it's just really hard for anyone in that leaf room to say, hey, guys, I know what it takes to win one round. Get on my back and follow me. Like, yeah. it's tough. It's tough. It is definitely tough. All around. All right. Uh, ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star Game this year, we will be giving away family four packs of tickets to the NHL Fanfare. Coming to Toronto February 1st through the 4th, just listen for the daily code word and episodes of the Fan Morning Show until January 26th. Then text it to 59590 to be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is Crosby. Our next code word will be in tomorrow's episode. However, tickets to the fanfare also available for purchase at NHL.com slash fanfare while supplies last. When we come back, Raptors next in action tomorrow night against Kawhi Leonard's Clippers. We'll talk to Mitch Lawrence of uh, SiriusXM NBA Radio and Mad Dog Sports Radio next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Raptors in action in their second and final uh, encounter against the Clippers at home tomorrow night. And we get to say hello to Kawhi Leonard again, who is, by the way, I, I think we may have failed to mention this when... They won on the back end of back-to-backs after the Darko Ryakovic screed mm-hmm. after the Lakers game. Kawhi Leonard never lost to the Raptors since uh, departing here. Uh, could could very well see that continuing for at least one more game. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, let's bring in Mitch Lawrence, SiriusXM NBA Radio and Mad Dog Sports Radio. How's it going, Mitch? Thanks for doing this. 
I'm doing great. The great thing about Kawhi, guys, is he's actually playing, and he's playing at an MVP level, and that's one of the reasons why the Clippers are now seen as a championship contender if you continue this because we haven't seen this from Kawhi in a long time. Good morning, and how are my friends up uh, north of the border, you say? Uh, we're good. We're good. We're doing all right. But, yeah, I, I had thought about that possibility, and they do look like a, a bona fide killing machine, especially when Kawhi's at his best, which we've seen here. And, yeah, that guy's unstoppable on offense, and we know what he can do defensively. He can put the clamps on Giannis, which he did in the, the final uh, four games of, of the Bucks series in the Eastern Conference Final in 2019. Um I mean, I guess the, the the question is like, what James Harden are you getting in the postseason? But do you do do you think that that's like Kawhi's so good that 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 actually doesn't end up rearing its ugly head? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, the James Harden we see usually takes his team down. Just ask Joel Embiid about that in the postseason. Um, the, Could ask a lot the of version guys. of James Harden. <laughs> yeah, right. James. Well, that's the difference. You know, it's the difference between the men and the boys. Uh, so here's the deal. And, and by the way, that really starts with Embiid this year, who's got to prove that he's a different player in the postseason For sure. than he has been. Um, James Harden, though, listen, when the trade was made and people were killing the Clippers, I was like, James Harden is a better playmaker than Russell Westbrook. That's what we know about James Harden. And that has proven to be. So far, he knows how to set up people. He knows how to get the ball to people. It's perfect that Russ comes off the bench. We'll see what version James Harden is. He's going to have to hold up his end of the deal with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You know, the drawback to that team is they don't have a lot of size. They don't have rim protection. So that's something that Lawrence Frank is going to have to address at some point because Zubak is hurt and Plumlee's not good enough to make, you know, to make a difference in the playoffs. So they've got other roster issues, but James Harden, yeah, he's got to continue to play at a high level and not have his usual uh, deal in the playoff where he just collapses and takes his team down. But here is more of a, a setup guy than a scoring guy because he's got uh, Paul George and Kawhi. So we'll see how it shakes out. But if I'm a Clipper fan, I've got to be very encouraged by what I've seen so far. Yeah, you you certainly do. It's funny you mentioned the size, right? Like it's in every sport is this way, but it's so cyclical. Like we're not all the way back to Roy Her- Roy Hibbert like verticality era, but you you can't just get by on a team with with a lack of size anymore. And it is going to be interesting to see how that kind of uh, kind of affects the the deadline. Obviously, uh, I think safe to say biggest story in the NBA this week is the Bucks moving on uh, from from their head coach. You know, uh, we're we're not going to be blind to what's at play here and how stars control things, and you know, rightfully so to a certain extent in this league. But uh, a team firing a coach with a record of 30, uh, 33 and thirteen, or thirty and thirteen, whatever it was, there, it, it's just you know you don't see it that often. What did you make of the the, the changes in Milwaukee, and what do you made of them this season, kind of since the the overhaul in the summer? Well, despite the record, they had big problems, obviously. And if Giannis Antetokounmpo wanted Adrian Griffin to be his coach, he'd still be coaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, He should never have been hired. You don't hire a guy who's never been a head coach in the NBA, uh, who's been an assistant and a good assistant, but is totally unproven. You never hire a a person like that to be a head coach of a team where the clock is running for a championship. This is a team built for now. You know, you can give Adrian Griffin a shot if you're, you know, rebuilding. You're taking a team that has been stripped down to its studs and you see how he is and how does he develop talent that you're asking him to take over a team. That's won a title. That's made a major change in bringing in Damian Lillard and getting rid of drew holiday and telling him, go win a title. 
Uh, to me, that was a baffling move. They should have hired the other guy from Toronto, Nick Nurse. That's what I said at the time. Nick Nurse mm-hmm. would have been perfect there. He interviewed for the job. I think he had some loyalty deal uh, issues in terms of going to want to work for Daryl Morey. He was the G League coach or the D League coach under Daryl Morey in Houston a long time ago. So I felt he, I think he felt a little loyalty. I know he did. But even still, if I were the Bucks, I would have prevented him from leaving that interview without getting his name on a contract because that's the type of coach that you want to hire. A proven coach, very good offensive coach who could figure things out in a two-man game with Lillard and Kumpo and a guy who's won a title. So the Bucks blew it, and now they're paid for it, even though they've had a very good record. There's no question about that. There were obviously a lot of internal problems with Adrian Griffins and his stars. And another big problem was when they ran, he ran off Terry Stotts. And that was an underplayed story in the NBA. That was a shocking move. Terry Stotts, obviously, was with Damian Lillard for nine years in Portland. He was his comfort. Uh, he was kind of a comfort blanket, I think, for Damian Lillard, who didn't want to be there. He obviously wanted to be in Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes to Milwaukee. At least, Damian, at least Terry Stotts is there. And Terry Stotts is a very good offensive coach with X's and O's. And I think the deal was, look, if he can figure out how to get Lillard and Antenna Cooper on the same page and then Adrian Griffin takes care of the defense, okay, we'll see how things work out. And Terry's the head coach there who's, who's had a modicum of success, went to one, I think, Western Conference Finals. Maybe it would have helped Adrian Griffin. The problem is he ran him off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these things happen. Uh, but it goes back to, uh, I think, initially, it's not the best. It's, it was the worst move I think the Bucks could have made because every time you're changing coaches now for Antetokounmpo and you've got a veteran team, you've got to bring in guys who get the respect of the players right away because they've won and they've been there and they've done that. And that did not uh, that didn't describe Adrian Griffin. Yeah, and then bringing in Doc Rivers, who, yeah, has the title and his playoff resume in Boston was pretty good. But since then, he's arrived in a couple of different locales with high expectations. And then they've moved off of him because of the lack of postseason success. He's a 500 coach in, in the postseason. And there's moves specifically that you can point to that are like, oh, that might have actually come down to coaching. What do you make of the – and it's a tough spot as well to go – in the middle of the season, join a team with, with title aspirations, but Doc Rivers is your fixer? That seems like a bit of a head-scratcher. Yeah, right? I mean, listen, you talked about his playoff record. I think there have been 13 cases in the NBA, history of the NBA where a team has blown a 3-1 to one series lead. Right. Doc has three of them. He's got three of them. <sighs> one in Orlando and two at the Clippers. Um, most recently against Denver, I think in the bubble, then against Houston in that unbelievable failure, Lob City, and a long time ago when he had a 3-1 lead against uh, who was at Detroit when he was with Orlando. Yeah, that's a bit of a head-scratcher, but Doc does have the championship, which he's kind of living off of from the Celtics a long time ago, 16 years ago. We'll see how it works out. He's got to get it figured out. You know, the big thing for Doc Rivers is, um, and any coach who goes in there, is how is he going to get that team to play better defense? That's been their biggest failing, and that's basically we all knew they were going to take a major step back when they decided we're going to go for Lillard and at the expense of moving a guy like Drew Holiday, who's a lockdown. You know you know what Drew Holiday does on the perimeter. He could be a first-team all-defensive player, second-team. So Doc's going to have to figure that out. Uh, but then again, you know, he's got that ring, so we'll see what Doc does. I mean, and, he, and it's a, in terms of a head-scratcher for Doc, I didn't think it was because – I guess he was informally consulting the Bucks and Adrian Griffin since December uh, in terms of, you know, helping him along. So he actually knew what was going on a little bit with the Bucks, but it seems to be, you know, as he's also working for ABC, 
one of these uh, deals, it's like a conflict of interest almost. But he's got it. Listen, if the Bucks come to him and say, we're moving on from Adrian Griffin, you got to help us out. You know, we want to hire you. What's he going to say? No, you're going to work with a guy, you know, one of the few guys who's been a back-to-back MVP in the regular season in Giannis. You're working with a guy like uh, Damian Lillard. For Doc Rivers, that's the most important thing. When you're going to go back to the NBA, and he was going to go back to the NBA at some point, you want to go back, since you've won, you want to go back to a team that has established NBA stars and playoff guys who make a difference. So I wasn't surprised from that standpoint. But, yeah, well, what, who else were the Bucks going to go out and get? Phil Jackson? You know, that's not happening. So yeah. we'll see how it all works out in Milwaukee. They're still not going to be better than Boston, I don't think. They may not be better than Philadelphia because, um, you know, I think both of those teams are better equipped. I think the Celtics have a better roster. I'm not that high on Joe Missoula, mm-hmm. but I do like the job that Nick Nurse has done in Philadelphia's Joel Embiid so far. And we'll see what Daryl Morey does to add pieces to or a piece to Joel Embiid and Tyrus Maxey. But right now, and I'm not saying this because, you know, I'm on Toronto radio, but I'm, I've always been the big Nick Nurse guy, and I think right now he's probably, along with Spolstra, the best coaches in the East. Yeah, uh, there's certainly something to that there. And, I mean, you mentioned Spolstra. I'll quickly mention it. I wasn't going to talk about it, but it's just remarkable. I mean, you know, we talk all the time about how hard it is to have longevity in anything in sports. It's like the idea of a coach being as entrenched in an organization. Like, he almost feels like an NFL head coach, like an Andy Reid type or something, just the way he is such a a part and parcel of of what they do there. Uh, Obviously, we're always focused on the Raptors up here, but uh, given the way the season's gone, uh, a lot of people have, uh, you know, they're they're kind of second team, and that's... uh, spearheaded by uh, SGA, uh, the, the Canadian for, for the Thunder there. They got the second best record in the NBA. A lot of people uh, of a mind that maybe they're not quite ready yet. Uh, how do you see this thing continuing to build it with the Thunder? And I, I guess the question I always have for a team that's set up the way the Thunder is, is they don't ever have to pick a time to push all in and this is our year, but you also don't want to get locked into a habit of it's okay, we have next year. And I'm not saying the players are thinking of it this way, but just from a team building perspective, what do you think the, the best kind of course of action is for, for the Thunder over whether it be this year or, or the next couple? Well, I think they're going to take what they have and see how far they can get this year in the playoffs. I mean, it's been a great rebuild for Sam Presti. I know for Oklahoma City fans, it probably seems like a long time since they had Durant, uh, Westbrook, and Harden. But the trade for the Clipper trade has turned out to be just one of those franchise-altering, you know, one of one of the great, uh, landmark trades in the history of a franchise that you can have by getting SGA, who looks like he's going to be in the MVP discussion, you know, getting Chet Holmgren to play the first time last year was a total well, wipeout for him and what he's done so far. They've got a lot of nice pieces in terms of how far can, can they go this year? We're going to find out they're not very big. Uh, a lot of people think they need more size. I think they might need a veteran or two who have won. Sometimes you need to add a guy like that to your roster to help out whether it's a Kyle Lowry or someone to help along the young players when they get to the playoffs. Um, it's always good to have a, a player like that or two. So we'll see, but they're in great shape. I mean, they've got all kinds of draft picks coming up. They got cap flexibility. Sam Presti knows what he's doing. Um, they're in great shape. The, the question is going to be once we get to the playoffs, does SGA take that next step? You know, what kind of playoff performer he's going to be? We, we talk about Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has been a regular season dominant, uh, you know, transcendent type of player. In the playoffs, he's not. And he knows now because that's what your legacy is built on, how you're viewed 
historically is what you do in the playoffs. It doesn't really matter as much what you do in the regular season. Just ask guys like Patrick Ewing and John Stockton and Charles Barkley. They're still tremendous players, all-time players. They'd be even better. They'd be even viewed more favorably if they had ever won a title. Mm. And so that's the difference, especially for your lead players. So that's where SGA is going to have to separate himself. We'll see what he does. I'm not going to put it past him that he can make a huge playoff to push in his first, you know, and with, with Oklahoma City. So we'll see. I mean, but it's just one of those things. It's great to see them. Their problem is going to be, like everybody else in the West, is how are you going to deal with Denver right now? Because with Jokic, Denver, to me, is still a cut above everybody else. With he and Jamal Murray, mm-hmm. the best one-two combination in the NBA, and nobody ever talks about that. I mean, it's, t- it's totally underrated. I don't know if it's because these guys are one guy's from Serbia, other guy's from Canada. But I, you know what? Those two guys together on the court, it's going to be hard to take them out in a playoff series. And that's what's going to you know, face teams like the Clippers and Oklahoma City and teams like you know, Minnesota. We'll see about the Lakers and you know, everybody else. That was Phoenix who's on a great role now. Those, those teams are going to have to figure out uh, Jokic and Murray. And I'll tell you what, guys, you know as well as I do, once you've won a title, it makes all the difference in the world. You have a step up, a leg up on other teams. You've got that championship DNA. You've figured it out. That's going to even help Denver more this year. Yeah, or in the case of an executive like uh, Masai Ujiri, we give him the benefit of the doubt. Despite the fact that, you know, it's it's been kind of uh, shaky ground recently. Uh, I think everybody's enjoyed uh, the R.J. Barrett tenure in, in brief time with the Raptors, and certainly Emmanuel quickly looks like a, a nice little lad. They have not won, right? Like, since those guys have arrived, and since then they've, they've right. since uh, right. traded away Pascal Siakam, and they got the three first-round picks, which all sounds great, except two of them come in this draft that they've already indicated to us they're not that interested in. Now, all of a sudden, they find themselves in a bottom-six position where they can retain their first-round pick that they gave to the, the Spurs, but then it means it conveys next year in a better draft. I just in an overall sense here, Mitch, like it, it, Masai Ujiri will forever be beloved here, right? Because he brought the Toronto freaking Raptors an NBA title. I get that. But it, it, since then, it's it's not exactly been a smooth sailing. Is Does he still have that perception as being the guy that can't miss? No, I don't think he has that perception around the league. I think everybody does credit him for doing a remarkable job and getting that team to the the, the necessary ingredients for a title with the big Kawhi trade, which is the number one thing on his resume. But now you're basically in a position where, you know, like you said, you've traded off some very good players, not great players. You know, the problem there is Siakam's not a one. They haven't had a one since Kawhi. There have been a, a huge export of a lot of talent besides him. And now you've got to rebuild and restock, and you've got to figure out a way to get an SGA. You've got to figure out a way to get an Embiid or, you know, an elite, you know, now I'm going to tell you a guy like, well, you know, you're not going to get a Jokic, but you're going to have to get a difference maker, a Durant, somebody who can make a difference in a playoff run to get you deep in the playoffs. They don't have that player on their roster. It's, we obviously know it's not going to be any of the guys they traded for from the Knicks. And, you know, they got a Bruce Brown, a lot of picks from uh, Indiana. So this is what his, his, his mission is. That's the hardest thing to do. How does a team get themselves a LeBron James for the future so you can have year after year of success and deep playoff runs? Uh, a lot of, you know, there are the majority of teams in the league don't know, haven't been able to figure that one out for whatever reason. Maybe the Spurs did with Victor Wembeniana. We're going to see about that. He's obviously the biggest, brightest star future-wise that we're looking at. So that's what Masai has to do, and that's a huge, huge deal. It's now, you know, you got to go back to finding how can we get ourselves – 
young DeMar DeRozan's, young Kyle Lowry, guys like that, and even better because we saw what happened to them. The deeper they went in the playoffs and they, you know, faced uh, LeBron James, uh, they were an out. So, you know, uh, a lot of work to be done in Toronto. I can't say – I'm not going to say it's, it's impossible, but it's going to be tough because you've got to figure out – you've got to draft right probably there. Toronto's not a free agent destination. You know that. They're not going to – you know, Kevin Durant's not going to look at Toronto next time he leaves, which is probably going to be in another year or two, and say, yeah, I'll go play in Toronto. But never say never. It's not impossible. You know, so we'll see what happens. But uh, listen, you got to look back at that. Uh, what is it, five years now that they won a title S and you still have that to hang on to? I know it's getting old, but, you know, what, what else do you have to sell right now in terms of. Uh, <laughs> and that's a tough way to put it. I shouldn't say that. You can look back and say, well, at least we won the title. What do we got coming up? Well, it's probably going to be another five years. Who knows? I mean, it's, it's a hard deal. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. I mean, it's going to be a very difficult thing because you have to land the right type of talent, and that's uh, very, very tricky. Yeah, uh, maybe you build the infrastructure, and then you wait for the, like, the, the, the couple of guys that could maybe uh, join you in free agency, Jamal Murray, uh, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, when the, you know, like if you're ever going to land the big fish, the, the, the difference-changing player, uh, it might be uh, one of the, the big Canadians that are uh, making differences on, on teams of various uh, degrees of championship contender. Uh, Mitch, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, guys. Enjoy it. Take care. All right. There's Mitch Lawrence, Sirius XM, NBA Radio, Mad Dog Sports Radio. Yeah, it's a, a five years again. Feels like it's, it's a little like when you're when you're gonna give. Well, one, RJ Barrett's making thirty million dollars a year. Yeah, and you're gonna give Emmanuel quickly close to thirty million dollars yeah, a year. Yeah, at least twenty five. Yeah. And Scotty Barnes is gonna get a max rookie extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, they appear to all. Uh, Jakob Pertl makes a ton of money. As well. Yeah, he makes twenty million dollars a season. Maybe he's out the door. Like maybe you can find a taker for him. Oh, um, you remember the Clippers need size. Yeah, probably not. I don't know to the degree of like getting another first round pick back. Do I they have know. a Shea poking around there? But yeah, for for those pieces, and I get they're all young, yeah, right? Yeah. They're all early twenties. But yeah. so is Jason Tatum. Like for all those guys making a bunch of money and not like nineteen, but like twenty three. Mm-hmm. He, for this to last five years feels like not ideal. It can't last five years. Honestly, three years feels like too much. Next year, there needs to be growth to which, like, maybe you're not making the playoffs, but you're like, oh, okay, in, sure. in 26, we're making the playoffs. I think, no, I think if you're going to pay all those guys and if you like the pieces you have, I think you got to be a playoff team. Like, you don't have to be a absolute lock playoff team all year long, but you got to be a play-in team that should win your play-in game at mm-hmm. the very, very least next year with this team. Unless you're trading a bunch of those guys for futures, which ain't happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of where I'm at. I mean, here's the thing about the play-in tournament. As poorly as the Raptors have played this season, as as bad as their record is, they're only two games back yeah. of the play-in. No, no, but I'm not talking about I'm not, year. I'm not talking about scraping into it. I'm talking about if you're a play-in tournament team, it should be viewed, and I know it's a one-off game in NBA and March Madness, yada, 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 but... Like, you should be viewed as favorites in the playing game if you're playing in it next year. Or, I don't know, like, go in the IST or make a run in that. Nah, that doesn't matter. Yeah, how do we view the in-season <laughs> tournament now, post-fact, that the Lakers, uh, I mean, they're clearly going to add at the deadline and maybe we're having a different conversation about them. But they, they don't exactly look like juggernauts. Okay, they're a game under 500, and 
And the Pacers have now acquired uh, Pascal Siakam and the the score bunch, but they're only four games over 500. You're, you're the closest thing between the two of us to a soccer guy. Mm-hmm. Do people look bad on like the Carabao Cup? If or I'm sure I just butchered the pronunciation of that, but like Man United, to my understanding, is like they weren't great and they won it last year. Do people like poo poo that cup now? Or like if a if a like one of the like who won the FA Cup last year? Was it, I bet was it not like was it one of the top teams? If it I was, don't like, know. Okay, but if it's like uh, I'm just gonna pick a random <laughs> soccer team, like if West Ham wins the FA Cup, I don't think people go, yeah, well, it stinks now. It's just kind of the way it works. Yeah, and that's get, a different deal. Yeah, well, you gotta you have to build things up. It's the point I made about the IST the whole time. You can't right. judge it in the first year of it. You can't judge it in the first decade. I, of I just it. don't like the timing of it that it's already done. It's already cooked, and like that that was at the beginning of the season, and the season is so different by the end of it. Anyway, so yeah. like maybe figure out the time. Fine. At the All Star break. That's the timing. Yeah, there you go. That's not bad. All right. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sports at 590 Fan. Good, Good morning. morning.